a while ago between the uh, references to the Lord's return in 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians. Those two books seem to uh, both, uh, both have uh, five specific references to the return of the Lord, and they seem to parallel. And both, in both cases, too, there is an interesting uh, structure, um, I believe. And to me, it's interesting. I appreciate it. Uh, chiasm. They form, they form a chiasm of, of structure in their thoughts. And by that, of course, I mean that the uh, first is very comparable with the last, and the second with the fourth, and then the hinge around the center one, the third one, the middle. Um, and that's, and that's, a, that's a normal, uh, a very frequently used uh, literary structure in, in the scriptures. You'll find it often uh, as you study the scriptures and find different lists of things that, that the Lord lays out. Often they are designed and given to us in a, in a, in a chiasm. Uh, format. <clears throat> we need much help this morning, and so let's uh, bow for prayer. Once again, our God, we, we come to you. We are so grateful for the, the greatness of your mercy toward us and your purposes for us. How we marvel at the grace that has been extended to us. We we thank you for our, our blessed hope uh, that our, our Lord, our Savior, who has loved us and given himself for us uh, and is now seated at thy right hand, will come for us as he promised. And we anticipate that to be uh, very soon. We thank you for that, Father, and we pray that you'll help us this morning as we contemplate that a little bit, and that you'll speak to our hearts. Uh, grant grant me great mercy and grace uh, to communicate some of the things that you've laid on my heart this morning, we pray. So we look to you and ask for your help and blessing. Oh, God, we are, we are dependent upon you and upon your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> in, as a preface to the thoughts of uh, First Thessalonians, the first mention of the Lord's return. I'm going to read the, the first chapter, verses 2 through 4. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. <clears throat> These kind of set the context for the entire book, uh, by the way. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of, or we might say, before God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And this kind of sets the tone for uh, the book. There's, there's very much uh, Paul's method of writing and his ways of of working with uh, with the way he, his literary structure is, is is brilliant and and always interesting to study. 
The first text in the book of 1 Thessalonians that refers directly to the return of the Lord, of course, is in this first chapter, as there is a, a, a reference in every chapter of the book. And the first one in the first chapter is verse 10. <clears throat> but we must read verse 9. Uh, they themselves show us, show of us, what manner of entering in we had unto you. When Paul brought the gospel to them, he's referring. And then he says, How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. <clears throat> so in this first chapter, the, the sense is, the thought behind the return of the Lord is that these uh, new converts in Thessalonia were waiting for his return. They were anticipating his return. They had trusted Christ as their Savior. They had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Responding to the gospel message, saved by God's grace, believers now in the Lord Jesus, they were saints, as we read even from the beginning of the book. Um, they were saved, right? But they were waiting for something. They were anticipating something, to, the coming of the Lord Jesus, his coming for them. Does that, does that give you the sense or the idea that, they're, that they're, their salvation is really not quite complete because they're waiting for him to come from heaven for them, the one who has delivered them from the wrath to come? <clears throat> God's plan, anticipation, or his, his program for these Thessalonians and for us is to bring us into glory, right? In Hebrews 2, we read about how the Lord Jesus was bringing many sons into glory. Is the statement there. Whom he justified, we read in Romans chapter 8. Then he also glorified. So our glorification is the end goal, right? Our salvation leads to the glorification. And so in that sense, we're, it, what this great salvation that God has given is not yet complete for us, right? We are waiting for his Son to come from heaven, the Son of God to come from heaven, <clears throat> the one who has delivered us from the wrath to come, and bring us then into glory itself. It's obviously true that we have not yet fully entered into that glory, we just have to look around or look in the mirror. We know that we have not yet entered into glory. Um, yet, its fact is complete. And it's complete in our Lord Jesus himself. Remember it says here, this verse shows us that his son is in heaven. We're waiting for him to come from heaven. He is in heaven. That one who was man, truly man, the Son, is now in heaven. 
Remember Hebrews 2 also says, Now we not we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. He is our representative there in heaven. Our salvation is complete in Christ, and we in Christ are fully in the place of glory. We have, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, does it say, we were raised together with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have been. That's what grace has done. He was our representative in death, bearing our sin. He is also our representative in glory. I'm just going to read those verses in Ephesians chapter 2 because I think they're they state it so nicely so that we can know and we have the confidence that our salvation, the great purposes for God are completed in Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together. That would be with Christ, right? Raised us up together in Christ. And made us sit together, again, in Christ, in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. If he is our head and our representative and our forerunner, our, he is there in glory, fully glorified, with honor and glory. We are in him, in Christ, we are glorified as well. We're just waiting for the working out of the details, as it were, but it's a done deal. It's a done deal. It's a wonderfully done deal. We receive the reality of our glorification by faith. We receive, let me say that again, we receive the reality, we enter into the reality of our present glorification by faith in Christ. Just as we receive the reality of our forgiveness from sin, by faith, even so we receive the reality of glorification in Christ by faith. It's as real. The one is as real as the other. And the text here says that the, the, the Thessalonians, and we see ourselves in them, waiting. Waiting. This implies hope, doesn't it? An anticipation. We're hoping for, in the Bible's term, hope. Not, not the kind of hope that is doubtful, but the hope that is certain and true. Now, I just want to note these three things about the Thessalonians. <clears throat> we read those verses earlier. Their work of faith, their labor of love, their work of faith, they turned to God from idols. That's faith. They had faith in God. Their labor of love, they serve the living and true God. That's their labor of love. 
And their patience of hope is the wait for his son from heaven. You see how these texts, as he began, he continues this to use that structure. It is, as it were, the way, the truth, and the life. Which our Lord said back this, he is the way, the truth, and the life. All of what we have and are and, and ever hope to have and do have is, is wrapped up in, not in what we are or do, but in a person, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his present position, glorified in heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In some ways, we we express our confidence or our the reality of our faith as a local church in the way of redemption as we gather together at the Lord's Supper. We express our confidence in what in God's way of redemption in that He gave His Son. The, the precious blood of the Lamb. And we express our, our faith, our confidence, our, our belief in the truth that is in Christ. As we do this, we, we study the Word of God, the ministry of the Word, dependent upon the Spirit of God to lead us in our way. And we express our confidence and our, and our understanding, our faith in the life that is in Christ as we gather week by week for prayer. Prayer is the, is the fuel or the, the source of living. And these things parallel with the triune God, of course. There was many things I was going to say, but I don't know if I'll, I'll go through that. I was thinking of the, the redemptive work of God when God brought them out of Egypt. The blood of the lamb, that precious lamb. <clears throat> that was the redemptive work of God. But then they had to cross through the Red Sea. And there, there was the, the, the victory the victory of the conqueror who defeated our enemy, our foe for us. The mighty strength of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, fought the foe. He fought the fight for us and was victorious as he went through. And, and that's pictured as we go through the Red Sea. The children of Israel went through the Red Sea. And there is where they were delivered from Pharaoh and his power. But then there's the life. There is the that's the way and the truth and the life is the the experience led and guided under the cloud by the Spirit of God all through the wilderness journey. And so this waiting for his son from heaven is our is our patience of hope. 
biblical hope is to uh, wait for what we know will certainly come about. That's what it is. Hoping we're, we're, waiting, we're anticipating something that we know will surely happen. We're just waiting for it. Turn over to Romans chapter 8 and verses 24 and 25. There was one connect these scriptures with our thoughts. Romans 28, or 8, uh, verse 24, we're saved by hope, he says. But hope that is seen is not hope. But what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? So if we're hoping for it, it's something we have not yet seen. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? In this text, we hope, we're saved by hope, hope that's not seen, we're hopeful, and waiting for it, patiently waiting for waiting for what? Waiting for his son from heaven, the resurrected one, the one whom he raised from the dead is there in heaven. He's the firstborn among many brethren, as it says in verse 29 of Romans chapter 8 refers to him in that sense. This whole text in Romans chapter 8 is very pertinent with what we're dealing with this morning. Concerning the Son of God from heaven, bringing many sons into glory. He's the firstborn among many brethren. This is uh, an important text for us to consider. Look at the context of this. Look back at verse 14, for example, in Romans 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Now, Hold on just a second here. I should have checked this ahead of time. No, that's right. Children is the right translation there. Then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him. What does it mean to suffer with him? What is he talking about there? Clearly it's not his suffering on the cross for our sins, is it? We're not suffering with him in that sense. We're suffering with him as... uh, In bringing many sons to glory, it was important that they made the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. That sufferings. It's the suffering of humanity, the infirmities of the flesh, of being a man. It's the suffering of being, he was made like unto his brethren. <coughs> the infirmities of flesh and blood of humanity. That's the suffering that's involved. If we are like that, waiting in the flesh, waiting in the in our humanity and the infirmities that's all involved in that, remember that also in Hebrews chapter 2 has this verse then, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. The suffering of Christ as a man. Because 
connected with humanity, with being a man, is suffering thanks to sin. Thanks to sin. I don't think that there was suffering in would have been, you know, that would have been different in the garden if they hadn't sinned. That was different in the garden before they sinned. When sin came in, with it came the suffering that's involved that we know as our normal part of life. And what we are suffering with, thanks to sin, we are anticipating to be delivered from when the sun comes from heaven. And receives us as sons into glory. He's bringing us, bringing many sons into glory. The glorification of the believer is it's in view in this text concerning the return of the Lord Jesus. They're waiting for, they're suffering, and this is their time of suffering, waiting, anticipating for the deliverance, the deliverer who has delivered us from the wrath to come and and glorified us. And so we have here sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare to the glory that shall be revealed in us when we break into that new realm of glory. Verse 19, the earnest expectation of the creature waits Waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who was subjected the same in hope. That we might know by hope to anticipate his coming. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails together in pain until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, as I read before. The Thessalonians are waiting for his son to come from heaven. That will mean the manifestation of the sons of God. That's what it will mean. That's what they're looking forward to. Not, not simply a rapture, although that's how it will happen. That's not what they're waiting for. Consider what I think would be is a parallel consideration in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, then. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, first mention of the return of the Lord in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> Verses 4 to 9. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given to you. By Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, 
so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, whom ye were called unto the fellowship, or by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We see in this text some some very definite parallels with what we saw, in, or what was there in First Thessalonians. Remember how the apostle commended the Thessalonians for their great testimony. They proclaimed and heralded the gospel which they had received to the whole region, trumpeting out the gospel, as it says there. And here he says their testimony of Christ is confirmed in you, or his their, the Corinthians' testimony of Christ is confirmed. And they're waiting for the coming. They're waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word coming there is uh, apocalypsa. I don't know know how to say Greek very well, but we have our word apocalypse, the apocalypse of Christ. The, The book of the Revelation is sometimes called the apocalypse because apocalypse, revelation, manifestation, that's what that word means. And that's what that word is here. They're waiting for the apocalypse. They're waiting for the the glory of Christ to be revealed in this world. That's a little different than rapture, isn't it? They're waiting for the Son of God to come in full revelation and glory. He who has been exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high, who has been given the name above every name, he who has been uh, has ascended up on high that he might fill all things. That's who they're waiting for. That's who the Thessalonians are waiting for. His son to come from heaven. The apocalypse, the manifestation, that was the word in Romans chapter 8. The manifestation of the sons of God, the apocalypse of the sons of God. It's the same word in Romans 8.19. The revelation. When he is revealed. He'll not be alone. Verse 8 says here. Who shall also confirm you unto the end. Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Called unto the fellowship of his son. When he is revealed. He will not be alone. It's worth waiting for. This is the this this is going to change everything, isn't it? We're going to bring we're going to bring in the whole realm of glorification. The the whole creation gets uh, delivered. So the first reference to the Lord's return in both these books, First Thessalonians and here in First Corinthians, this goes beyond the rapture. It's more than the rapture. Not just waiting to be raptured out of here. We're waiting for the glorification of the sons, the manifestation of the sons of God. We're waiting for the the new, I mean, the glory of Christ to be revealed. That's what we're really waiting for. Consider it all from the perspective of today. 
those who are waiting for it. Now, now look at the last mention of the return of the Lord in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Again, we're, I'm saying they're there. They can be compared side by side, first and last. So in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, There, too, the context is about those who are waiting for a future fulfillment. They're waiting. They're anticipating because they're, he's praying that they would be preserved unto. First, notice the context of this section in First Thessalonians chapter 5. Starting at, it begins at verse 12, this immediate context, verses 12 through 22. The apostle gives a series of practical exhortations for the present Christian life. You might say he gives here a description of what a Christian life ought to look like. It is what what it means to be blameless. If you implement these, some have said 15 points, you will have a blameless Christianity. And we're not talking about sinless when we're talking about blamelessness. Just remember, the elder, the oversight in the church was to be blameless. The deacon was to be blameless in his life. Now, Paul says concerning the law, before he was even converted, he was blameless concerning the law. What does it mean to be blameless? It means that nobody can point a a finger at you, and nobody can make an accusation of you. You're just above reproach. The Christian life is to be above reproach. And and so this is this this point, these points that he gives to us show us the Christian life, the normal Christian life, the life of sanctification, because he concludes it all in verse twenty three. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that called you, who also will do it. Reminds us a lot of the way that the apostle brought it before us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Faithful is he. He, God, is faithful. He concludes his thoughts there as we anticipate where we're headed here he speaks of the very God of peace. Now, there's seven virtues that God uses, is pleased to identify himself with in the New Testament. He's the God of glory in Acts chapter 7, 2. He's the God of patience. He's the God of hope. He's the God of love. He's the God of peace. He's the God of all comfort and the God of all grace. These things are spoken of him like that. And here he is, the God of peace. God of peace, sanctify, make you holy, that is, set you apart for himself. That which is sanctified is set apart for God's self, for personal use and, and, uh, and service. <clears throat> the apostles' desire, well, there's, 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 a, there's a connection in these words. The word peace in the Hebrew is shalom, which means it comes its root means wholesomeness. It means that everything is in its right proper 
proper place. That's what peace is. Everything is like it should be. It's wholesome. It's complete. It's it's full. And so the God of wholesomeness make you wholly sanctified to him. Set you apart for himself, wholly, completely, your whole entire self, spirit, soul, and body. Blameless, preserved. In Thessalon- the first chapter of Thessalonians, the Thessalonians were waiting for the coming. They were they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and they were waiting for his son from heaven, the deliverer from the wrath to come. And here the emphasis is more on what on, on God's side of things, preserving us wholly, completely for himself. Keep you, preserve you without fault. Confirm you unto the end, he said in First Corinthians one verse eight. Blameless the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Both places. It, it depends upon the faithfulness of God. Only in him and only by him is this possible. And by him it is certain. It is our hope. <clears throat> Clearly this text is also waiting anticipating, looking forward to. And we feel like waiting, waiting for something seems to imply vulnerability. It seems to imply um, uh, precariousness. <laughs> waiting for, what if it doesn't come? It's, so the, the dependence is upon the faithfulness of God. There's no precariousness in waiting And anticipating time may seem to drag on. Time may be long. And look how long it's been. And maybe longer yet. But God is faithful. That does not change. Now the last reference to the return of the Lord in the book of 1 Corinthians is in the very last chapter, almost the last verse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And this, here now, the apostle has finished his letter. It says in verse 21, the salutation of me, Paul, with my own hand. He's signing off. He has finished this long letter. It's a letter filled with correction and exhortations. It's a very practical letter, isn't it? It's a letter to the church at Corinth. But now like a capstone to all that he has said in this letter. He makes this exclamation in verse 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. What a powerful statement. It's almost a shocking statement to us when we read it. And yet it fits the context of his letter. Let him be anathema, he says. Cursed. Cursed of God. Damned. Cast out into outer darkness. If you love not the Lord Jesus Christ, 
See, God made man to be in his image, to bear his image, the image of God, and to glorify him thereby. And that's precisely what our Lord Jesus Christ was, is, the, the express image of the invisible God. And the glory of God is found in him. He's that ultimate man. And if your heart doesn't long to be like him, you've lost your very purpose for living. If you're not interested in bearing the image of God, being like Christ, if that does not grip your heart, what's your point? You were made for that. If you abandon that, You have no purpose, no point. You're worthless. You'll end up in the landfill of the universe, I guess. What else do you do with junk, with worthless junk? You throw it away. You'll end up in the everlasting garbage dump, in the dunghill. That's the man who does not glorify God, who does not want to bear, or is not interested in bearing the image of God. That's the man who is turned aside from that. The crown of life, though, is preserved. Paul says there's laid up for me a crown of life, and not for me only, but for all those that love his appearing. That's in 2 Timothy. All those that love his appearing. The word appearing there is epiphany. All those that love his epiphany, his shining forth, the Lord Jesus coming and shining the glory of God upon this world. That's what we're, if you love not the Lord Jesus Christ, the curse of God is upon you. Just, you're just, you're, you're cast out into outer darkness. An eternal darkness. But those who love his appearing, the epiphany of the Lord Jesus Christ, those that love the Lord Jesus, like it says to Daniel in Daniel chapter 3, or 12, I mean. <clears throat> in Daniel chapter 12, it says, uh, oh, be In that day, many that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. That's where things are headed. Those that are that love the Lord Jesus Christ, that love his appearing, his epiphany, those that are connected with him, those that be wise seeking the righteousness of God, which is by faith, shine in their brightness forever and ever in the glory of God revealed in us. This is the manifestation of revelation of the sons of God. God, in his purposes, bringing many sons to glory. That's what we're waiting for. We're looking for that. 
And so the apostle adds then immediately after the period. Not every text has a period there, but I think there should be because it says, Many men love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, period, full stop. And then he says, Maranatha, Lord come. Lord come. Your saints are waiting. We are longing for. Your saints are waiting. Lord come. The final expression of the return of the Lord in this book. Very similar, it seems to me, in thought and in the way that he ended the book of 1 Thessalonians. God preserve you, your whole spirit, soul, and body. Preserve you blameless. Blameless is a big deal. It's in several texts. It was there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Blameless. Confirm you unto the end, blameless in Christ Jesus, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless there in Thessalonians. Blameless again in Thessalonians chapter 3. Blameless or faultless, it's the same word, Jude 24. This is where it's at. This is where we're headed. In all Christ's perfection revealed in us, fully played out in us. We're coming to that day. We're anticipating that day. Oh, Lord, come. So the apostle closes. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will keep us. And we look to you for that. We thank you for the, 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 uh, the, the blessed hope that is ours. Not just that we will take our flight. There's so much more than that, isn't there? Oh, what a wonderful thing it is to contemplate what is coming. Who is coming? Your Son from heaven. And we, caught up in the air with him, will be with him, but also like him. Father, we thank you for this great this great truth, and we pray that you will help us to live like we believe it, day by day, for we look to you in Jesus' name.